What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Detoxicity Podcast. I hope you and yours are staying safe and healthy. My name is Mike Joseph. I appreciate your support of this podcast, so please make sure to hit that follow or subscribe button on whatever platform you're using to listen. Also, feel free to leave a comment and rating on the podcast if the platform supports it. You can also follow me on Instagram at It's Mike Joseph, and if you have an idea for a show, or if you'd like to be on the show yourself, just drop me a line at detoxpod at gmail.com. This episode, I'm talking to licensed counselor Taylor Houchins. Taylor is based in North Carolina and works primarily with teenage and adult men, helping chart a course towards healthy masculinity. He specializes in topics like self-esteem, work-life balance, working through childhood trauma, and improving relationships. These issues form the basis of our conversation. We also talk about learning from the toxicity of your past relationships, men helping and being supportive of one another, and how music can be therapy for him. Check it out. My name is Taylor Houchins, and I am a psychotherapist uh, specializing in trauma, uh, healing parental and child relationships, and men's work. And I am a musician as well. I play drums and write electronic music on the side. So men's work, what is a loose definition of, of what that entails? Big question. So a loose definition of men's work would be feeling safe enough to feel the authentic feelings that we men repress on a daily basis. Where do you think that repression comes from? From uh, mom and dad. Um, number one and you know then it's the question is like well where do they learn it from and then where did they learn it from you know and it kind of keeps going back um and then also just in the culture you know what kind of guy is posted on the, the the typical magazine you know what does he look like what are the messages that the the media is sending um about what it is to be a man in today's world so yeah, from really the um, kind of the direct experience of growing up being a child in the nuclear family, and then also kind of the macro experience of just being in um, the culture today and in America and also globally. How did this become a topic of interest to you? Was it just being a man and attempting to figure that out within yourself? What were the, all the factors that led to you pursuing this ultimately as a line of work? I was going through a pretty difficult uh, relationship. Yeah, I guess if I'm getting real about it, uh, there was a point That's in the relationship. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, all right. <laughs> so there's a point in the relationship where my partner uh, really gave me her heart and said, uh, I love you from a very deep place. And then something kind of switched in me. I just felt like the, the game was over. It got validated. It's like, all right, boom, I got, I got what I got, what I wanted. And, ah. and that kind of happened on a subconscious level. I was kind of confused as to why I was becoming a little distant. And um, so I sought the help of a men's coach, shout out Miles Scott. And uh, Miles suggested that I look into um, some men's work. He's, you know, he's, I was talking with him and he was like, did it dawn upon you that you may have been uh, using this relationship, this person as a source of external validation. And then when you finally got that, I love you. And 
I've committed to you, then you were like, all right, well, now where am I going to get my validation from? You know, now, now how am I going to feel worthy? You know, he, he kind of shed some light on that. And, uh, he said, why don't you check out, um, this group called sacred sons out in California. They're, they're doing some new men's work right now. And so I went on their Instagram and website and, uh, I just saw these videos of these testimonials and these pictures of these men just really feeling some deep emotions and feeling, um, safe enough in brotherhood to be able to feel that and to go there and something just deep inside me, just kind of lit up and I started just eating it up, going down the rabbit hole with it, and <laughs> um, eventually went out to California for uh, a retreat last October, and got my life changed. It was it was amazing, and so I've been inspired enough to like bring it back to the East Coast and start my own men's groups, s- spread that, share that. It's really interesting that you uh, kind of came to that conclusion at a point in your relationship when your partner expressed. Uh, a level of love and commitment did it just feel like okay game over like in a very primal caveman-ish i've i've i got what i came here for sort of way did uh you know i couldn't put a like a reason on it i was talking to my therapist about it for a few months and it's just like you know nothing really happened in the relationship i'm trying to find a a a reason um but it, it did feel a little bit primal but a little bit um caveman-y like that for sure but um the more i've been reflecting on it that's what i really thought was the reason at the time but the more i've been um doing just my own personal work and looking into trauma and how it affects us and affects our nervous system i think the actual reason for my distancing and and disinterest was because I was wanting just more uh, depth from my partner and uh, my nervous system uh, was kind of picking up on on the the difference there and wanting to be met at that depth and I just I just wasn't being met I think it my body was just trying to tell me is like bro like it's it's time to it's time to move on it's it's time to um, find another uh, system, uh, basically that's going to be able to sync up and and meet you where where you craving to be met. That yeah, I've, as I've been doing my work, that feels like it's it's a little bit more true. However, I do feel like um, the first one does have some validity as well because I've always been in this pattern of relationships where um, I'm dating um, wounded women to be able to like fix or to feel good about myself or to or to be placed in a uh, a dynamic where I know that I'm not going to be the one being broken up with. So it's kind of like a savior complex kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. I wonder how that manifested itself. That came about because of an imprint uh, placed upon me uh, in childhood. So I was speaking with my mother probably maybe uh, not this Christmas, but the one before it. So a little over a year ago and, you know, those kind of cozy Christmas times some of us have where we spend uh, a week at home with our fam and, you know, stuff happens. Um, And so mom kind of guiltily confessed to me uh, late one night that she 
used me as her therapist when I was little. And she would uh, kind of tuck me into bed. And um, she was going through some tough stuff in her life and with her relationship with her husband, my dad. And that basically created a way of being for me. So I learned that in order to maintain love and connection with my mom, that I, I needed to uh, listen to her, to take care of her, and to be there for her. And she's going through a rough time, and I need to do whatever I can in, uh, in myself to make sure that um, she's okay and she gets better. It didn't feel good in my nervous system. It felt it felt wrong, but like when you're little, like you don't cut, you don't set boundaries with your your parents. They're your main sources of love and connection in the world. So we adapt, we change, we deny these uh, parts of ourselves in order to stay safe, in order to maintain that love and connection. So then I um, I developed uh, this kind of imprint where um, now my relationship to the feminine is in order for me to receive love, maintain connection, I need to help you. You need to be wounded. You need to be hurting. And that's probably why I'm a therapist as well. Uh, it definitely influenced me into becoming, yeah, a healer of, of sorts. Um, because if I can help you, then maybe I'm enough. If I can help you, uh, maybe I'm worthy. So it's a way of making yourself feel useful or a way of validating yourself in addition to being able to help others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And how old were you when these conversations were taking place with, with your mom? As early as I can remember, I was eight. Um, but you know, uh, they may have gone on a little bit before that. And, and mom, I love you. Um, uh, you know, you, you're doing the best you can. And... Um, yeah, I just wanna just wanna say I love you. So, no, no, no harm. Right on. Yeah. <laughs> so you have this breakthrough, and you decide to check out uh, this retreat. And what was there a specific moment when you were just like, okay, this is it, or was it the whole experience that led you to a position where you were like, okay, well, I want to do something in this realm. Like, I want to be a part of this. Yeah, it was kind of uh, really a culmination of so many different life events that brought me to men's work. I remember going on the Instagram and going on the website, and it just just really clicked for me. And something inside was like, "Yeah, you need to you need to get out here. You need to check this out." So yeah, I did, and um, I'm really glad that I was just listening to myself, listening to my body, and, and following that. And um, it feels really aligned. What do you think is, because we're now inundated with news talking about toxic masculinity. It's a huge point of discussion. There's definitely the sense that there's a culture shift in the process of happening. And it's a good culture shift. But it feels like, to me at least, it feels like there's so much that needs to change it's like, where do you begin and, and, and where do you start these conversations? And what do you say to people who don't think that there needs to be a conversation in the first place? It's tricky. Where I'm beginning is through social media and also through these men's groups. So basically, uh, we men, we need it. it it's not going to take a woman to be able to, to help us understand 
that it's time to maybe consider we have some things to work on. It's a, it, takes a, it takes another man to give another man permission. And when we respect this other man and he is displaying vulnerability and he seems like a solid guy and someone I could trust, then something happens inside where, where it's just like, oh, oh shit, maybe, maybe I could feel better because, because we're, we're holding it in, you know, we're pushing it down. Uh, we can, we feel it, we know it on some level. And when we do see that permission in the world, then that part it starts to become a little bit louder and it's just like, Hey, why don't, why don't you like, why don't you start like feeling that thing or like maybe talking about that, that thing that, that happened that you've never talked about through my social media platform. You know, I'm just making posts, uh, just kind of speaking my truth about it, you know, getting responses. And I can, I can tell that like, there's, you know, I'll have certain guys that are, that'll message me and just, are just like all about it. Right. And then certain guys that get triggered as fuck and <laughs> and and they're just like, no, bro. No. And um, and so so it's the social media way. And then also with with the men's work that I'm doing, I'm you know, I'm creating brotherhood, um, you know, in the in the real world. So uh, I've got three men's groups going on right now. And when we can you know, experience uh, that brotherhood of, of coming together, just us guys, and we can get real, and we can get vulnerable, and we can talk about uh, sexual trauma that we've had. We can talk about our relationships with our dads. We can talk about porn addiction. We can blah, blah, blah. And one when we do that and we realize that all the other men in the circle are, like, nodding their heads, and they're just like, in full support that shit feels good yeah and it's oh shit you're not you're not gonna judge me you're not gonna tell me i'm i'm bad like i can i can get real and authentic and i can feel these things and you're you still got my back and when that happens it it just takes it to a new a level and encourages all the other men to get on that level and get and to get vulnerable and we start feeling safe enough and we can really start to to heal and um, you know evolve instead of being stunted um, because we don't feel like we can uh, talk about these things or feel these things based on the, that programming that's been going on. Um, and then so that so that's happening on a direct level and creating that brotherhood. And when it's a you know an, an embodied felt experience um and that we bring that back into the world once we leave that group and so it's just you know it's creating a ripple effect and then to your other question what about the guys that are just like nah more so like uh guys who are like why does this even need to be addressed like there's nothing wrong with me you can lead a horse to water but you can't make it drink <laughs> you know it's that's that you know that's that's their choice that's that's their life, and if they want to stay in, in that denial, then you know I, I can't do anything about that. I, I can I can speak my truth, and um, but me you know 
trying to convince or control um, people, men that are that are in that space is going to be, you know, a, a real waste of my resources and energy. And I think that the men that are willing, the more that we can come together and really start to uh, kind of grow as a collective, you know, really power happens in, in numbers. And and if if they see a men's movement happening, if they if they feel threatened, um, it's our job to help them feel safe. It's and and if they want to stay in that threatened space, then, you know that's totally up to them. But you know, it's I mean we don't want to see our brothers in pain. Like we we want to help each other out, and so for those that are willing and are looking inward and, and doing their work, you know, it's up to us to, to, to even reach out and just say like, Hey brother, I'm, I'm thinking of you. And, uh, I want to let you know that like, if you ever, uh, need to talk about anything, like, you know, I'm here for you. Um, just something as simple as that, where it's, it's not forceful. It's just opening a door and uh, it doesn't feel threatening. So, yeah, I think that's what I have to say about that. I would have to imagine even saying that breaks down walls because so many people don't hear, hey, I'm here for you, or if you need anything, let me know, or, you know, just express that kind of, of being there for other people. And I think that that alone is really helpful towards, uh, you know, again, like kind of cracking the wall a little bit and, um, you know, making people feel like it's okay to be vulnerable because, I mean, look, I mean, we, we, we are in the society we're in, and although there have been a lot of strides made in the last, I don't know, as long as I've been alive anyway, in regards to uh, how men interact with not only each other, but, you know, the women and non-binary people that are around them, there's still a lot of work to do. Like, there's, there's still toxic masculinity in uh, large existence, and uh, it still kind of needs to be, you know, worked on and ultimately destroyed. So I feel like uh, even when someone is resistant or initially resistant or vocally resistant to, you know, what your mission is, I feel like you at least plant a seed in their mm -hmm. head, kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I really see it as just, they're just scared. They're, they're... You know, if we can look past the like the confrontation and the hostility and uh, any of the resistance that like seems um, dramatic, like we're we're just scared. We don't know how to go in there. We don't know, like we we haven't been taught to to feel our emotions, and and the longer that we suppress and compartmentalize them the more that energy builds so if we can like take on that mindset of yeah of these resistant men and see them as these these kids these little boys that uh had some shit happen to them and they couldn't they didn't know how to to deal with it or to to release that energy that built up in them at that time and they've been holding on to it for so long and it's like if i feel this now Oh my God, I don't even know. 
right? So it's okay. It's all right. It's all right. And and so that that gentle, just like, uh, hey, I'm here for you. You know, if you if you ever need to talk, you know, it it's it's so it's so gentle. It's so subtle, and um, really, it just kind of cracks the door open. And um, yeah, if if it, if it comes in 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 a kind of forceful way, then uh, there definitely might be some resistance, resistance there. Yeah. As you're sort of going through this process of, uh, of of starting these men's groups and being a part of them, is there anything that really, really sticks out of you, sticks out at you? I'm sorry, that you feel needs to be worked on more than other things. Like, what has jumped out at you the most since you've started doing this work? I would say one big revelation that I've experienced is the main ingredient for any of this to be effective is safety. So I I led a men's group probably five months ago for the first time, and it was like in an office setting and with, um, it was a square room with uh, sheetrock walls, and you could kind of hear some people next door, and you could see some people walking outside. The lighting wasn't, it was, it was kind of bright lighting with the, with the overhead lighting, and it just felt very like exposed. If if we're gonna start getting in touch with our feelings, we gotta feel safe. Sure. And so, after going to some of these retreats, I'm really realizing the importance of feeling calm, feeling like settled, feeling like whatever I'm gonna express or share is gonna be, you know, the group can handle it. And so the, my second time around of running it, I'm like, I'm definitely not doing this in an office setting. So <laughs> I found um, a yurt in the woods of Hillsboro, North Carolina, and it's on 10 acres of land. Um, my friend Brian is uh, willing to offer, it's his yurt, he's willing to offer that up. Um, thank you so much, Brian. You know, it takes a good, like, five minute hike through the woods to get out there you walk in and it's this beautiful circular wooden structure and uh, i've got a lot of carpet laid out and i've got some really dim uh, lighting with some lamps uh, i've also um, lit some candles and there's a wood stove in there and I've, I've cooked up a fire that's been going for about an hour and it's got the place warm and there's some tea and cacao uh, if anybody wants a little hot beverage and we walk in and we just sit down on this nice uh, shag carpet and we sit in a circle and we just start checking in, you know, what's real, what's present for you uh, right now in your life. Right. And we start listening to each other. Um, and it's the it's that environment that like really calms the nervous system and settles it and also being out there in the woods it's just like all right i'm in the container of the forest and i'm in a container in this circular yurt and i got these brothers that are all here willing to be vulnerable and do the work with me i got that container and i have this facilitator here who's passionate about this work and is a licensed therapist and i can trust him and so, like, all these components really factor in to be able to help us express and uh, 
to tap into some of this authentic um, emotion that uh, we may have not felt safe enough to to touch on. So that so that's that's kind of a, a biggie that uh, I've really taken away from diving into this work. That feels like a really welcoming environment. One thing I've uh, sort of been an advocate for in my time working in mental health is the fact that everyone needs to see a therapist at <laughs> some point or another. And I don't, you could feel like you're the most well-adjusted person in the world. You need to have sometimes when you speak to somebody who can be completely objective and work through some shit because no one has a perfect life. No one has a life with no questions. No one has a life where they don't feel vulnerable or confused or lost or you know, whatever that is. So I think it's important for everybody, regardless of gender or lack of gender, to see somebody uh, that can, that they can just talk to, that can be a sounding board. Um, you know, unfortunately, mm -hmm. we don't live in a country where, where A, that is encouraged, and B, that is affordable. But I do think that there are moves being made in the right direction to, uh, to make that more of a common thing. Yeah, we've all got we've all got our stuff and you can go into it of okay, uh I've got some things I haven't looked at and I, I and I want to heal or you can go into it with the perspective of I'm going to take this as like a proactive approach and I'm going to just talk about my life and this person's going to be an outsider uh who's given going to give me some objective feedback from their point of view, that could be really helpful. Hmm. And if, if there are any brothers listening to this that uh, have some resistance around going to see a therapist, it doesn't mean you're weak. Not at it all. Do, no, it, it's actually, it's actually means you're courageous. It actually means you're brave. And it's, that's like, it's actually real strength to be able to to step into into that space and to go inside yourself in that way. So, yeah, I really, really encourage any anyone out there listening, uh, if they're on the fence about taking that step to see a therapist, um, it is worth it. Yeah, you are you are not weak because of it. You're strong. Was it was it difficult for you to to make that step, or were you? Uh, was it something that you had exposure to maybe growing up and weren't, you know, didn't have such a, a resistance to going? I had a really positive experience when I was 12. I had a lot of anxiety around being on the swim team and like stepping on that block and performing. And I would, I had trichotillomania where I would pull my hair out of my head and it just like relieved my anxiety. And wow. And, uh, and so I saw a psychologist and she helped me overcome that. And it was just a really empowering experience. Uh, uh, if I would have never had that experience, I think I'm the kind of person that's still, you know, open to uh, self-exploration and um, would have found one anyways. Interesting. Now, I'm going to – you're in the South – <laughs> yeah, I am not. And I feel like there are some definitive cultural barriers that may exist where you are that may not exist where I am. And I don't know if I'm correcting that assumption or not in regards to mental health and healthy masculinity. And yeah, I mean, this is a South down here. <laughs> right. You know, where are we coming from? Right. If you look like historically, 
to be honest, yeah, we're, uh, you know, I'm, I guess a good comparison would be East Coast to West Coast as well. It's like there's different uh, progressions and uh, different levels of like being open minded. So, yeah, I, I would say that the, the South is a little bit more entrenched in conservatism and I think some pretty deep roots in Christianity. And, and my experience with Christianity as well, I mean, I grew up Catholic, is that you don't talk about stuff. You hold all that stuff in. Part of being a good good Christian is leaving it all to God and not confronting anything head on. Oh boy, that's a that's a hot topic for me. <laughs> my, my dad's a my dad's a preacher, so yeah. I'm a I'm a I'm a PK and I've uh, been in the church since day one. Yeah, I could I could I could riff on that one though, for <laughs> for days. So. I don't know where you want to take that. I feel you on that on that point of give it all to God. It's you know it's that that that's my that's my therapist. Yeah, I think you're 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 on point with that. I mean, I mean, I know a bunch of Christians who also see therapists. They usually see Christian therapists. Sure. Yeah, I just feel like there's so much to explore. Like I said earlier, just so much to to unpack and kind of break down in regards to the stuff that we're taught. That I mean, look, any discussion centered around masculinity is just going to take you know, a million and one different turns and go on a million and one different tangents and talk about a million and one different things just because there's so, mm-hmm. so damn much of it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just from a cultural perspective, like I, as a New Yorker, uh, even I encounter resistance talking about this stuff to people who have a, a background or, or, you know, sort of learn about being sensitive or... or you know, uh, feelings not necessarily equating to masculinity, I would just imagine it's a lot harder. And this could be complete ignorance. I would just imagine it's a lot harder for that stuff to be accessed, you know, in more rural parts of the country. Yeah, that is something I've been thinking about. It's They've got their communities, and there's not a lot of the kind of progressiveness that's happening. It's, there's not, it's, it doesn't get in. Well, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of exposure, or at least like not person to person exposure. They like it where they are, and we don't want to be there. It's like, well, then how do we fix it? Because <laughs> yeah. I don't know if anyone's figured that out yet. So, what's your goal? Like, you're just kind of starting this out. Where do you see yourself and what you're doing a year from now, two years from now, five years from now? Yeah, thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak and visualize this sure so for the future i want to be doing two things one is i want to be traveling the country and the world djing my music (laughs) and as far as men's work goes i'd like to um i want to i want a lot of men to come together um and feel that that power in numbers. And I want to be facilitating um, some immersive experiences. Explain um, that. Two, three, f- five, six-day uh, experiences. Um, and 
I'm really feeling a call to like get back to the roots. Okay. Um, so, uh, for instance, uh, rites of passage. Um, what kinds of rites of passage uh, do we have in this culture to initiate us from boyhood to manhood? And uh, what kinds of rites of passage uh, did more indigenous uh, tribes have um, and on, on this land um, before colonialization? So, yeah, I just really feel like a, this call of getting back to of the roots and going into, into certain parts of the land with some other brothers to you know, connect back to, you know, Mother Earth. Stepping away from the hustle and bustle of uh, modern day society um, and the way that it's evolved and, and come to be. And, you know, what, what kinds of things arise uh, when we you know, put the technology down, we, we, we take a break from our jobs and our works and our, and our, and our busy life. Um, what kinds of things are we really not allowing to, to surface um, because of this, the demands of our culture and the lifestyle that we're in right now? So, um, you know, doing some multiple day kind of immersives uh, uh, in that sense, you know, and I think that really stems from a desire for me to, to have my own. And I've tasted it a little bit, but I'm really wanting to, to dive deeper uh, into that realm as well. It's, it's funny. You talk about, you know, putting the technology down and backing up from work a little bit. And it seems one major lost art. And I don't know if it's so much a lost art is we never really had the tools to do this in the first place is proper communication or honest communication, open communication, whatever you want to call it, I feel like there's a lot to be learned from just talking and understanding people's experiences and empathizing and listening. And I feel like although we now have the means to communicate with a, a wider array of people than we ever had before, we're not necessarily using those means to communicate in the proper way. You know what I'm saying? What... And again, this is kind of a, one of many open-ended questions. Like, what is, what can we do to, to facilitate more, like, visceral communication, more face-to-face -face communication, more honest communication, more... Because dudes in particular, dudes are just like, okay, yeah, the weather's great, okay, you know, that game was awesome, hey, that girl looks good, that, you know, that dude looks good, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's very surface. You know, what do we do to facilitate more, you know, this sounds almost silly coming out of my mouth, but more like bonding, more communication, more, you know, uh, more real yeah. relationship having. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's a need. Thank you for, thank you for mentioning that. Um, you know, we can only meet each other as deep as we've met ourselves. Um, and so the work really comes back to the self. And if we want uh, more bonding, if we want deeper connection and relationship with other, then we have to know what that feels like within ourself. Um, and that's why I am just passionate about what I do uh, as a men's worker and uh, a psychotherapist is 
um, because I've done a lot of my own personal work through psychotherapy, uh, through uh, plant medicine, through uh, yoga, um, through meditation, um, I'm able to then hold space and be a container for someone else to go to that depth within themselves. Um, and I love it to be in a room with someone and to be able to assist them because they have the eagerness, they have the willingness, they just may not know like what to do or where to go. And it's in, and for them, it starts just with a, a desire. It starts with a small little desire that kind of creeps up inside them and they say, you know what, I'm going to go, I'm going to go see this therapist and they, and they listen. Um, or, you know, it doesn't even have to be a therapist. It could take so many different forms, but, um, but they really listen and they tune into that whisper. that's like, Hey man, it's time to go a little deeper. Let's check out what's going on in there. Um, and just, and just honoring that and listening to that, like, Oh, it's it's huge. It's huge, and so that that really is the um, the the key to being able to have this uh, deeper relationship and bonding with with each other. So, uh, one thing we haven't talked about is much is your music. Now, how how does your music relate to the men's work at all, or is it something completely different? I started out drumming, and. Um, I feel drumming is a, it's a, I feel it's a masculine energy. Um, it's very, um, it's very penetrating. Uh, it's very uh, creative. Um, it has drive. The rhythms are going somewhere. Um, and so I think in its essence, it's, it's masculine. And um, and that's taken the shape from uh, playing snare drum and concert band in middle school to learning drum set to um, being on the drum line to then playing djembe, going to drum circles, facilitating drum circles to creating electronic music. Um, it, it all has this kind of driving force to it. So I would say, yeah, it's totally related to the, the masculine energy. And where can people find some of the work you've done? Or have you, I mean, do you have work out in the world? Yeah, I just started um, putting some stuff up on SoundCloud. You can just search my name on, on there, Taylor Halchins, and um, that'll pop up on SoundCloud. And I'm putting some stuff up on Spotify. And I've got a few tunes in the bank that I'm just putting some final touches on. And so that'll be coming out soon. Um, and it's house music. Nice. Um, yeah. Very yeah. cool. Mm -hmm. and, and what got you into house music or what got you into dance music in general? Is that just uh, what you grew up listening to? Or something you discovered later on, or? It all started in 2009 at a Tiesto show when I, I took a little bit of ecstasy and <laughs> just got my world just cracked wide open. <laughs> and um, 
that was really such a breakthrough for me to start really entering into uh, this world of self-exploration. Um, you know, as much as it was like fun and like a party and wild, there was also just this element of beauty and um, just connectedness and unity. And um, that was really my first like taste um, of, of depth, of, of, the, of more depth than the, the current life that I was living. Um, and so, you know, I got much, much gratitude for that medicine. Um, and, uh, you know, and I do see it as, as medicine. And in fact, ecstasy was used, um, for couples therapy. Mm -hmm. uh, that's really where, where it was, uh, used significantly before it, um, just kind of expanded into the party scene. Um, so, you know, I, but yeah, so that's, that's, that's that on that. That's where it all started for me. And it's still being uh, certainly tri uh, trialed. It's it's still being uh, used as a, uh, you know, antipsychotic, I believe, or, or you know, yeah. an alternative SSRI. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, MAPS just gave the thumbs up. Uh, they got the thumbs up from the FDA to use it for in therapy. Nice, nice. Yeah. 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 Um, Rick Doblin's been like working hard on, on getting that. And I read his book acid test and, um, yeah, just, just, uh, so, uh, proud and, um, kind of enamored at, at the, the diligence they've been, um, having working with the FDA on trying to get this cause they, they see how helpful it is. And, um, also relating to something you just talked about, I don't think a lot of people necessarily realize how much club culture and dancing and dance music, how communal it is, and how close to, for some people, how close to a religious experience it can be. Mm. Yeah, I mean, when enough people come together that are passionate about the same thing, like, it creates tribe and, and family and you know what music does it just just really helps us transcend all the bullshit yeah and and when we <laughs> can come together with that it's it, it's it's a powerful force it's an amazing and thing that's why that's one of the driving factors um i have for writing my own music is like i have a vision of me not only like expressing through myself musically through the music which is a huge passion but also like being the facilitator of like bringing people together in unity and in acceptance and in joy and in love and it's just i i love it and um there's some people who who really get it and just and others who don't but that's with everything yeah true <laughs> right on so i think we can kind of that seems like a good stopping point for the podcast part of the conversation. Um, cool. But uh, yeah, that, that's, that's some good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I really appreciate your, your interest and your questions. Like, yeah. This is, this is great to speak about. Absolutely. 
Um, so I'll probably hit you back up and just get some, uh, like your socials and kind of all that stuff to put in the show notes, uh, when it does launch. But, uh, I want to thank Taylor for taking time out of his schedule to discuss his work here on Detoxicity. Taylor is all over social media. You can find him on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook under his real name. If you're interested in hearing what his music sounds like, he's also on SoundCloud under his real name. <laughs> if you're in North Carolina and might be interested in scheduling an appointment with him, I believe, like most uh, psychologists, he's only taking video appointments right now, but you can locate him on psychologytoday.com. Whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or on Podbean, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss another episode, and please use the hashtag DetoxPod if you're discussing the show online. Leave a review anywhere that you can, and please, please, pretty please, please tell your friends about Detoxicity if you think that they'll get any value out of it or enjoy it. If you have any questions about the show or you would like to be a guest, shoot me an email, detoxpod at gmail.com. You can also like the Detoxicity Podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash detoxpod. That was a mouthful. Or you can follow me or slide into my DMs on Instagram at it's Mike Joseph. I am Mike Joseph, and I thank you for listening. Please stay safe and healthy. Peace.